If you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to Romans chapter 12? If you've been with us, we're going through a short mini-series through this chapter. While you guys are turning there, we have um, several announcements for you guys. So, you guys ready for the announcements? All right, so this morning, if you don't know, most of you probably do, but this morning is our last Sunday morning here at Medreach Ambulance, at Kona Drive, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and before we do anything else this morning, before we talk about anything else, I wanted to just take a moment this morning and thank Kathy. K Kathy's over here, in case you guys don't know her. If you don't know, we've been here for the past six months uh, at Medreach, at Kona, um, since September. So it's literally been about a six-month period of time, and Kathy has opened up um, her place here, not only her parking lot, but everything we need to be able to stream, she's also opened up and provided for us to be able to do this. And so we just wanted to thank Kathy, and we're praying that the Lord just gives you 50 million times um, fold of a blessing, okay? So I was trying to think of something really big. So we just pray that Kathy uh, would be blessed, and I know that all of us were definitely thankful that um, Kathy when our church needed it. You know, I, I know that some families have stayed home um, and have continued to join us online, but I know that there were some of you who were definitely in need of coming out the house on Sunday and coming in person and in need of that fellowship. And so uh, when we needed it, especially when a lot of people here in the church needed it, you opened up your space to us. So we just wanted to start this morning by saying thank you to Kathy. And if um, we can't afford the rent at the new place, we can come back, right? Okay, so we're, we're, we're not planning on that, but I mean, you know, never know. So, um, but yeah, thank you, Kathy, for, for everything. Um, with that, since it's our last Sunday here at Medreach, it also means that next week, beginning on Good Friday, is going to be our first time at our new uh, facility. And so those of you that are here in person... Um, there's a flyer there. There's some flyers over by the offering box um, over here on the side. And we just want to let you guys know, uh, pick a few up, take some with you, invite someone, invite a family member. I know that our church, uh, where we're going to be meeting from now on, is definitely closer for a majority of our people here and possibly even for people um, that you work with, that, you, that are your neighbors, that are your family members. And so um, just make sure you guys grab a flyer, and we hope to see you guys on Good Friday or next Sunday morning for Easter. All right, with that, a couple things related to Easter. All right, so we don't know what we're walking into. Let's, I, I'm just going to say for the very, we don't know what we're walking into. We don't know who's going to come. We don't know if it's going to be those that are been coming here consistently in person on Sundays. We don't know if some of our friends and family online are going to be joining us. We don't know if um, people who we're not expecting might show up. And so we don't really know um, how to gauge that. And so what we're going to ask you guys to do is those of you that are planning to join us next Sunday morning in person, we want your guys' help. We want to be able to gauge 
somewhat what that's going to look like or what the attendance is going to look like, especially because of COVID and the restrictions that are involved with meeting indoors, the restrictions involved with uh, beginning next Sunday, we're going to bring um, children's ministry back in a limited capacity. And so we just kind of want to gauge what we need for next week. And so if you guys can, if you guys can go onto our website, um, this is a whole another thing, but I'm going to say it real quick since we're talking about the website. We updated our website this week as well, and so I encourage you guys to go on there and take a look. But from this point forward on our website, we're going to be actually switching our web address to calvarycoastline.org. So it's going to be super simple, calvarycoastline.org. If you still have the old address in your phone, coastlinela.org, that link will still work and redirect you to our website, but from this point forward, we're going to be using calvarycoastline.org. And in order to help kind of gauge what to expect next Sunday morning, those of you that are planning to join us in person, one thing that we set up was, is a link to that website to just kind of RSVP, and all the details will be on there. So you guys can go on to, if you're planning to come, calvarycoastline.org slash RSVP and just quickly fill out uh, the couple questions that it asks you there. So, and like I said, this is not to necessarily count or track people, but this is definitely to help us this week as we get the space ready, be able to prepare for you and for your family to join us um, in person, okay? So just wanted to let you guys know that. And also, real quick, I encourage you guys to go onto our website because as we transition into an indoor service, obviously things are going to look different. You know, they're going to look different than even when we were meeting at the middle school or beatbox or anywhere else, especially because we still have um, COVID-19 happening right now. And so I encourage you guys to go on there. We have some details, some specifics, some protocols that we ask everyone to follow. And so I encourage you guys, calvarycoastline.org, go on there and make sure before you guys attend next week that you guys check up and read um, the protocols for attending our indoor service. All right, and then lastly, after service, those of you that are interested, if you were here last week, we talked about getting involved. Obviously here, we're able to kind of just set up and have church, but moving indoors is going to require um, more hands, more help. And so there's a lot of ways that you guys can get involved, and we talked about that last Sunday, but specifically, um, there's areas in greeting. We're going to need urgent help um, helping out with children's ministry. We're praying that God would put it upon um, someone's heart, maybe even to um, eventually, not by next week, but eventually, uh, we're praying for the youth in our church, and so that's something we want to see happen um, fairly soon. And so we're praying that the Lord would raise up the right people to get involved. And then obviously worship and anything else that God might put on your heart, anything else that you might be gifted in or feel called to do, we definitely would love to talk to you. And so immediately after service, if you guys can come see me over at the tables there on the side, um, just want to get maybe five, 10 minutes of your time and possibly help plug some people in. So I pray you guys were praying this week, right? We, we talked about it last Sunday. 
I pray that everybody has been um, praying. So let's get into God's word this morning. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you're taking notes this morning, you guys can, start, you guys can title this morning's message, Dear Church, It's Time to Love. Dear Church, It's Time to Love. Would you start reading with me Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. It says in verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you, and God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you just for the blessing that it's been to be able to meet here these past six months at MedReach. And Lord, thank you for Kathy and, and just the team here at MedReach and their heart to make this space available to us. We pray that you just bless them. And Lord, we also thank you now that you've opened up this space for us um, starting this Friday. A space where we don't have to set up and tear down anymore, but Lord, just a permanent home. And I pray that you would bless that space and Lord, bless our church, our ministry going forward. And Lord, now as we study your word, I pray that you would take this passage. God, that you would take this third part of our little series here and God, would you speak? Lord, would you minister to our heart? And so God, we love you. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Dear church, it's time to love. Just a quick recap, if you haven't been with us, we're going through a quick mini-series in Romans chapter 12 called Dear Church. For me, there's, there's things that God has been putting on my heart lately as a pastor. And about a month ago, as I was praying about how to express those things, how to share those things, how to teach those things, the Lord put Romans chapter 12 on my heart. You see, there were some very specific things that I felt like we as a church needed to talk about. There are some areas as a church, as a community, that I felt like, man, we need to address these things. And so for me, I felt like Romans chapter 12 perfectly captures what those areas are. And so two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 and 2. We took a look at those very familiar verses. And one of the main themes of that study, if you guys remember, was back in verse 1. Would you go with me there? Romans chapter 12, take, go back to verse 1. Where it talks about, look at it, to be a living sacrifice to God. And then it says to live a life that is holy and acceptable to him. And then it mentions that being a living sacrifice, being holy and acceptable to him, that it's our reasonable act of worship. 
It's our reasonable act, some of your Bibles say, of service. You could say, simply put, it's the reasonable thing to do in light of all that Christ has done for us. Now, those words, that phrase, living sacrifice, it sounds good. That phrase, living sacrifice, it sounds very biblical. This phrase, living sacrifice, it sounds like a very solid religious phrase. But what does it mean? You see, if we were to just throw it out there as, as a phrase, then people would know, okay, it's associated with the Bible, it's associated with religion, it's associated with Christianity. But what does it mean? What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? What happens in the life of a Christian if they choose to live their life as a living sacrifice? As we begin our study this morning, in the last section of Romans chapter 12, I believe that verses 9 through 21 of this chapter give sort of a perfect description. It gives perfect detail into what a living sacrifice looks like on a practical level. One of my favorite stories, and I believe one that perfectly paints what a living sacrifice looks like, is about a famous author and pastor by the name of D.L. Moody. Most of us recognize that name. He went to a study one night when he was young, and the pastor was teaching. Moody was in, was in the crowd, he was in the audience, and the pastor said these words. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is holy and fully consecrated to him. And so that night, Moody heard those words. And those words, he couldn't shake them. You see, those words, they cut to Moody's heart. And after service, he approached the pastor. He went up to him and he asked the pastor, do you, you, do you really believe what you said tonight? The pastor said, what part? Moody said, the part about the world is yet to see what someone is capable of, of who is fully surrendered to God. And the pastor said, I really do. I really believe those words. And so Moody looked at the pastor and he said, I will try my utmost to be that man. And for me, this has always been one of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite studies, one of my favorite stories. You see, for me, I heard this story about 15 years ago. And when I first heard that story, when another pastor told it, I too was moved by those words. I too was reminded that that's what it's supposed to look like. When someone is fully holy, surrendered, consecrated to the Lord, the world better look out. The kingdom of darkness better watch out. And for me, obviously, in a very imperfect way, I've built my life, my ministry, my desire to be holy and acceptable and well-pleasing to God 
I've built my life and my worship around this thing that's reasonable. It's reasonable that the Lord would ask us, would call us to be a living sacrifice for him. The section that we're going to study this morning is a section that has 19 brief exhortations. Now, the word exhortation, it's literally a fancy word for strong encouragement. In your face, almost aggressive encouragement. You see, encouragement is nice. Encouragement is, is like a hug. It's like a big, fat embrace. You know, when, when you receive some encouragement, it's like, it's like a soft roll of Charmin toilet paper. You know, it just, it feels good. Not only do you want to use it in the restroom, but I mean, you could squeeze that thing and you could literally use it as a pillow. I mean, it, it's nice. It's comfortable. It feels good. That's what encouragement is. But exhortation, it's more like a paper towel. And I'm not going to go and talk about what you could use that paper towel for, but it's like a paper towel. It's a little bit rougher. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little stronger, a little bit more durable. And what we have here are 19 exhortations, strong words of encouragement that I believe every Christian needs to take seriously if they're going to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, I love learning God's Word. I love teaching God's Word. But I also love when words of exhortation come our way. You see, I have my old man. I have my old knuckleheaded self, my old sin nature, which we all do. And that nature continually wants to resurface and reinvent itself in our life. You see, there are many reasons why exhortation is important in the life of a Christian but this morning, if you're taking notes, I, I very quickly just want to highlight two of those reasons very quickly. If you're taking notes, would you write this down? First reason why exhortation is important is, number one, without biblical exhortation, I will constantly be tempted to live a lukewarm, carnal life. Let me repeat that. Without biblical exhortation, I will constantly be tempted to live a lukewarm and carnal life. You see, what exhortation does is it comes from God's Word and it penetrates our hearts. And what it does is it causes self-reflection. So when I read strong words from God's Word, when God through His Word gives us sections like these 19 exhortations, they come and the purpose of the exhortation is to penetrate my heart. It's to cause me to self-reflect. It causes me to sit down with the Lord and have to ask difficult questions. Would you turn real quick with me over to Psalm 139? Leave something here in Romans 12 and go with me over to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139... Verse 23, God's word says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Verse 24, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There in verse 24, would you underline, highlight, whatever you have in verse 24, the phrase, see if there's any offensive way in me. This is what exhortation does. As you sit with the Lord, as you ask the Lord to search you, the Lord will send exhortation. He will send words of exhortation into your heart. And the purpose of exhortation is, hey, see if there's any offensive way in me. In other words, Lord, is there any area that you need to correct? Is there any area that you need to call out? God, is there any lukewarm in me? God, is there any carnal in me? Lord, is there anything stumbling in my way? God, would you show me? Because let's be honest this morning, would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? It's really easy. It's really easy to walk with the Lord, be strong in the Lord, and then to gradually begin to compromise, gradually begin to sort of bend your conviction. It's really easy to gradually slip into carnality. It's really easy to slip into lukewarm living as a Christian. And so God, as we're in His Word, God, as we go to Bible study, God, as His Word comes and penetrates our heart, He goes and He corrects those areas. He shows us if there's any offensive way in us. Now, number two this morning, would you write this down? Number two, without biblical exhortation, I will self-define my own Christianity. Without exhortation, number two, I will self-define my own Christianity. And what I mean by this is I will obey the commands that are easy to obey, and I will disregard the commands that are hard to obey. And so without exhortation, there's no way of being corrected. Without exhortation, in a sense, there's no area of instruction. So what, in, what exhortation does is it comes in and it gives us the commands of God. It tells us how God has called us to live. And so there's no need to self-define my own version of Christianity and convince myself that I'm living as a holy and acceptable reasonable Christian before the Lord. What exhortation does is it comes in and it defines what I'm called to do. It defines how I'm called to live. And so I don't have to self-define my own Christianity. Yet the only way to live a life as a living sacrifice is through obedience to God's Word obedience to the commands of God, and obedience to the exhortations from His Word. Now, would you go back with me to Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to start in verse 9. And as we start this morning, I believe that verse 9 here lays out three important distinctions that must be true in the life of every genuine, every sincere Christian. Number one, 
There's three defining marks here in verse 9 before we get into it. Number one, would you write this down? According to verse 9, the first defining mark of a Christian is sincere love. Sincere love. Go with me to verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. So the first defining mark of a Christian, the first way to identify that someone belongs to Christ is that their love, their life is filled with sincere love. The New Living, or I'm sorry, the NIV translation of verse 9 says it this way, love must be sincere. Now this word sincere, if you're taking notes in the Greek, it's the same phrase that we see here. It literally means no hypocrisy. And the word hypocrisy in the Greek is a re was a reference to Greek actors. You see, in Paul's day, the theater was a big thing. And so one of the forms of entertainment was to make your way down to the theater and to watch the show. And at that time, there were no elaborate sets. There were no you know, crazy costume changes, or, or there, there wasn't this crazy expensive lighting that would, that would be there on stage. You see, there was no backdrop, there was no change of scenery between, between sets. The only thing the actors had was that they would make their way to, a, to the stage, and their only real costume was their mask. And sometimes, these actors, these actresses, they would go and they would play multiple roles, multiple characters within the play. And so they would have their mask on, they'd make their way, they'd play a role, play a character. And then when it was ready, when it was time to change into another character, there was no costume change, but there was a mask change. And so they'd pull out another mask and reveal another character. And the idea here behind being sincere... The idea behind love needs to be with no hypocrisy. The idea is that when, when we come to Christ, when we become part of the local church, when we find community in the body of Christ, the way that we love one another is to be sincere. It's to be with no hypocrisy. It's to be where we're not putting on, on Sundays, one mask, and then you get home and you take it off. Oh, this week, you know, so-and-so, you know, Joel and Olga are coming over for dinner, so got to put the mask back on. Or, you know, oh, I'm so glad they're gone now, you know, now I can take the mask off. You see, there are many Christians, many people in the body of Christ who wear a mask. They put it on, they take it off, depending on who they're around, even at church, depending on what crowd they're, they're socializing with and fellowshipping with, it's a different mask. And so when I come to church, I put the hallelujah mask on. The praise the Lord, the, since it's Palm Sunday, the Hosanna mask. You know, the Maranatha mask. Lord, come quickly and the rapture of the church and praise the Lord and amen, brother. You know, and, and that's the mask we put on when we come to church. 
The blessings are flowing, brother, you know, and, and would the Lord pay back to Kathy 80 million times fold, you know? For, I mean, and, and, and we're very good at wearing this Sunday mask. But then on the drive home, you take off the mask, you put a different mask on. Now it's just you and your spouse, and no, there's no more hallelujahs and amens. There's, ooh, did you see so-and-so? Did you talk to so-and-so? Oh my goodness, I could smell their breath through the mask today. I mean, whatever it is that you're talking about, you know, I mean, did you see their outfit? I hate everybody there. I don't even know why we still go there. I mean, there, there's this different mask we put on. And then we go to work on Monday, and that's another mask. And all of a sudden, the question then becomes, who's the real you? If we were to take away all your masks, who's the real you? The problem is, there is no real you. It's a show. You're an actor. And based on your surrounding and based on who you're around, you have a mask. This is what it's saying. Everywhere we go, every day of the week, no matter what crowd is around, this should be the real me. You guys want me to break out in some greatest showman right now with this is real? Okay, anyways, listen, you guys know the song. But this is who you are. This is me. Okay, listen. That's what he's talking about here. What Paul is saying, in effect, is do not put on a mask of love and yet be unloving in your actions. Don't be an actor who is playing the role of lover while after the role, you're turning into hater or rebeller, whatever it is. You see, the word of exhortation this morning is this, take down the mask and just love for real. None of this, oh, I'm praying for you, or I care about you, or I love you, bro, or whatever it is. Take down the mask and really love. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk about when it comes to this word sincere. That, that was the Greek for sincere. Now, this word sincere in the Latin paints the same sort of picture, but uses a different illustration. So in the Greek, we're taken to the theater. In the Latin, this word sincere, we're taken to Pottery Barn. Okay, We're taken to the swap meet or wherever people would sell their things. In the ancient world, merchants would go, they would go to the flea market or wherever they would sell their pottery, and they would make their way there. And sometimes, you know, as they're moving their pottery or if, when the pottery comes out the oven or it's being transported to the marketplace, little cracks would develop in, in, in the pottery. And so what the potter would do if they were an insincere or not a good potter, they would go and they would take wax and they would fill in those, those little cracks, those little holes. Rather than go and build it again or fill it in with something stable, they would take wax, fill in the holes, paint over the wax, and you would not know that the crack was there. But the problem was when someone would then go and purchase your pottery, they, they think, man, I purchased something sincere, something real. Yet they'd go, and the moment they put that pot outside, put some flowers in it, the heat hits it, guess what happens? The fact that it's insincere 
the fact that it has blemish or defect becomes exposed. How? The sun comes, melts the wax, and all of a sudden, you know, I got a bad pot. The word here in the, in, in, in the Latin for sincere is without wax. Without wax. Sincere. It's without wax. It's the real deal. You see, our love, the love that we have as Christians towards one another, God's Word says this to be without wax. It's to be sincere. There, it, it's, you're not to use wax on it and try and cover up other things. It's to be sincere. In fact, when they went to the marketplace, the merchants were asked, the honest ones would actually go and place a sign there wherever they were selling their pottery, and they would actually put a sign out that said, Sin Sarah, which in Latin means without wax. And so when you went to that vendor, you know that you were getting genuine pottery, pottery without wax. Now, there's one more word I want to focus on this morning. So love must be sincere. Love must be without hypocrisy. Real quick, I want to focus on this word love for a moment. Love. As we know, there are different uses of this word love. And in the Greek, there's different ways in which the word is used. In English, we just have one word, love, but in the Greek, there's all sorts of different types of love. Well, the love that's being referred to here in verse 9 is the word that most of us know. It's the word agape. So agape must be sincere. Agape must be without wax. Now, this is what I want to say this morning. According to this exhortation here in verse 9, the way that we are to love one another, love each other in the body of Christ, it's to be agape. Agape. Now, this is why I think it's important for us to talk about this for a moment this morning. This word agape is the same love, Greek word agape, that's used in John 3.16. For God so agape, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You guys got it. Now, what's interesting, too, is this word agape is the same Greek word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5 when it says, Husbands, agape, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do you show agape? How do you show love? He gave himself for the church. He gave up his life as he sacrificed himself. Now, let me put this together with you guys for a moment this morning. What he's saying is agape, love, must be sincere, genuine, without wax. I know, because I struggle with this, just like maybe some of us here this morning struggle with it, it's difficult to agape people. It's difficult to always have this unconditional love, no strings attached, even if I'm hurt, even if I'm offended, I continue to love you. It's difficult. And so the temptation might be for some of us, let's go back to what we talked about earlier, to redefine our Christianity, to redefine love. 
we might say, man, I read Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I don't think it's possible. But let me say this this morning. The love that God has called us to love other people with, agape, it is possible. You see, we're called to be like Christ. You see, if you're going to have the name Christian associated with you, it means that you're called to be a little Christ. You want to be like Christ. That's what Christian means. And so if we're going to claim to be a Christian, then we need to agape without hypocrisy, with sincere love, the same people that Christ loves. So we can't say, well, I don't feel called to love them. I can't stand those people. I want nothing to do with them, but I'm a Christian. Well, God loves those people. He agapes them. And you and I are called to be like him. And we're called to love like Christ. All right, let's move on in verse 9. The second defining mark of a Christian, if you're taking notes, would you write this down, is a strong hatred to evil. Strong hatred to evil. Go back with me to verse 9. It says, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. This word abhor in the Greek, it literally means to utterly detest or to be in horror. One thing that's interesting about this word is that in the entire New Testament, this is actually the only place that this word abhor is used. It appears only in this one verse. What the exhortation here is, is that we are to regard evil with horror. You see, what kind of evil have we allowed? And should I abhor it? Should it horror me, the thought of being a part of it? It should horror me to think that, man, this I could potentially allow or let in or have it dominate my life or control me to influence me, intoxicate me. We are to abhor, we're to detest evil. We're to be horrified at the results, the consequences of sin. As we're studying the life of David, as we've been studying it recently, one of the things you see is that David found himself going down that path. Why? Because he didn't detest sin. He didn't detest evil. He inquired of it. He sent for it. He tried and covered it up. We should be horrified at the results, the consequences of evil. Becoming a Christian doesn't automatically mean that you're going to hate sin. In fact, one of the traps for the Christian today is that we're surrounded by so much evil that we actually get used to it. We become desensitized to it. Sometimes, in fact, we'll approve of it. Just to be a part of the crowd. Just to not be called out by other people. So what we do is we manage it. We don't abhor it. 
What we do is we schedule time for it when no one's watching. We flirt with it. We see how close we can come to it. We don't want to offend. We don't want to criticize evil. And so we stay silent about it. When we're around people we're comfortable enough, we dialogue, we talk with them about it. And then when it comes time to say something, instead of speaking up, we, don't, we say we don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to offend. The Bible's very clear that we're not to define our own Christianity and our own convictions. The Bible, the Word of God, is very clear that we are to detest evil. I love what someone said that I read this week about evil. An author wrote these words. He says, sometimes we buy a ticket to see evil or pay monthly to watch evil. We applaud when evil wins the grow or when evil seduces the man or when evil gets away with its crimes. Sometimes we give evil our business card and invite it to call. Sometimes we log on to evil. Sometimes we lust after evil. Sometimes we fantasize about evil and decide to meet evil people someplace, sometime. Sometimes we walk through the doors of evil. We subscribe to evil. We sign up for evil. We sit down with evil and we laugh at its stories. We hide evil. We manage evil. And in our secret world, we plan evil in our minds and play with evil in our hearts. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. Listen, God's word is clear that the effect of sin, that the consequence of evil should bring horror to our heart. Not delight, it should bring horror. Abhor what is evil. Thirdly, number three this morning, The third thing, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? The third defining mark of a Christian is they cling to good. They cling to good. Finish verse 9 with me. It says cling, the third exhortation of the 19, it says cling to what is good. This word cling in the Greek, it literally means to glue or be cemented together with to join with firmly. It illustrates this picture of a a marriage. It's the same picture. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where we're told that the man is to leave his father and mother and he's to be joined or he's to cleave to his wife. It's the same picture, same word, same illustration. That when you're married, you cleave, you're glued. Real quick this morning, those of you married, how many of you guys feel glued? Okay, I'm not going to ask that. Anyways, listen. This is a good glued. It means you're, you're, you're stuck together in the most beautiful way. You cleave, you cling to. Now, this is the thing. The same way that you would cling to or cleave or be stuck to or glued to a spouse what the exhortation here is is that we're to have that same relationship with good 
We're to be glued to it. We're to be cemented together with it. We're to be joined firmly, united, committed, glued to good. It's to be a part of our life. It's to be what we desire. Would we be glued to good? Continue with me, verse 10. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. I mentioned earlier on that there are these, in English we only have one word for love, but in the Greek there's multiple words for love. And here in verse 10, we actually have two of those Greek words for love. The first word here in verse 10, if you're taking notes, it says, be kindly affectionate. The word kindly affectionate in the Greek, it's the word storge, which is where we, which in the Greek, where we get our picture for the devotion that a parent naturally shows to their child. You see, when you have a child, when they're born, you don't have to be taught how to love them. You don't have to be forced. You know, your spouse doesn't come and say, here, love it. Love it. I'm going to pray for you that you love our baby. It's just, it's a natural response of a parent. You're kindly affectionate to your child. That, that, that's what it says here. And then the other phrase, the other time this word love is mentioned in verse 10, is in the phrase with brotherly love, which is where we get our Greek word uh, phileo, or our English word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is what? The city of brotherly love. So go back with me to verse 10. Let's put them together. What it's saying here is this verse can be translated this way. Storge one another with phileo. Got it? Storge, be kindly affectionate to one another with phileo. Listen, dear Christian, the way that we're to see our brothers and sisters, our family in Christ, is we're to see them, we're to have that affection or that devotion to each other. It, it, the, the same devotion, the same affection that a parent has for their child. You see, I believe that when we come to know God, He naturally, by His Spirit, places that affection for other Christians within us. You see, I don't think we naturally can look at each other and say, man, I just love that guy. In fact, I remember the first time my pastor told me he loved me. I was probably about 15 years old, grew up on the mean, bad streets of Gardena, you know, and so I just remember thinking, man, men don't tell each other they love each other. And all of a sudden, my youth pastor says, hey, Randy, I love you, man. And I was like, that's weird. That's awkward. My, my daddy don't even talk to me like that. You know, I mean, I mean, my mama barely talks to me like that. I mean, so to hear someone come and say, man, Randy, I love you. It was awkward. In fact, I remember I kind of stayed my distance for a couple of weeks. Like, man, this is, this is weird. It's weird to walk into the house of God. It was very foreign to me to come to church and have the Spirit of God working because I wasn't used to this. I didn't grow up in that. And so to have this man look at me and says, man, 
I love you like as if you were my child. I'm like, no, you don't. And if you do, you need to back up. But that's what happens. You have this natural affection, devotion to one another. And then this is what happens. Notice the end of verse 10. The devotion turns into family. It says, with brotherly love. So you become so devoted, storge to each other, that you feel like family. Now, think about this with me for a moment this morning. If you come to our church, if you're part of Coastline, you guys have heard me say it all the time. One of the things from the very beginning of our vision and everything else has been to, you know, ask the Lord to create a family environment. And you guys have heard me say it already. But this is the thing. If you've ever been to our church, one of the things you know is that it really has happened. You know, you have David and Jonathan, and here at Coastline, we have Arland and Leo, our, our own version of David and Jonathan. You see, for me, if, if Coastline could have flamed out a long time ago and ceased to exist, and it would still have been worth planning this church, just because Arland and Leo became friends. If we never planted this church, these two would have never found each other. And I, 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 and I love it because I love watching these two. And I'm like, man, that's the Lord. The Lord somehow, through my obedience, of course. No, no, no. The Lord, when we felt called to plant this church, somehow brought these two guys to be a part of it. And now, man, these guys are kindly affectionate to one another. I mean, I, I'm close to these guys, but I'm not as close as they are to each other. But recently, they finally have started to include me in their little text chat. Before, it was just them two. Now, I'm the third member of their little chat. And they finally included me. And the way that these guys talk to each other. I mean, the little emojis they send, or little gifs or gifs or whatever they're called, they send to you. I'm, I'm like, it's all day long. These guys are literally best friends. And I'm the third wheel. But anyways, listen. That's what it looks like. You see, I believe that that is what God wants to do throughout the church. He wants to bring us together. He calls us to one another. And he says, be kindly affectionate to one another. But I can't. But you can. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have the Spirit of God that's going to show you a love and put in your heart a love that's even greater than storge or phileo. He's going to place in your heart, verse 10, agape love, and it's going to be sincere. It's going to be without wax. It's going to be without hypocrisy. Now, you guys can close your Bibles. We're done. I know you guys are looking at the clock and scared that we're only on the fourth exhortation. And I said there were 19, but you guys know those Bibles were done. We'll get to it after Easter. But let me say this this morning as we close. Loving other Christians, because that's what the, the, the context here is, loving other Christians is not an option. 
It's a command. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Whoever loves the Father, God, love the children born of the Father. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. For me, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about God exhorting you and I. It's about God saying, listen, dear church, it's time to agape. It's time to love. It's time to go beyond the superficial of amen and praise the Lord and hallelujah and everything else. It's time to truly love one another. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would take these words, these words of exhortation. And God, I pray that with the midst of, of the text, the midst of these verses, I pray that there was, that there is something that speaks, that, that, that penetrated our heart. Lord, thank you that your word does give us strong exhortation. God, I pray that our love for one another here in the body of Christ, that it would be sincere, that it would be without wax, that it would be without hypocrisy. Lord, I pray that when we are around each other, we wouldn't have to put a mask on, but that this would be the real us, a genuine, sincere believer in Christ who loves their family in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, even as we self-reflect, even as we do what Psalms 139 says, as we ask you to search us, as we ask you to show us, as we plead with you, God, if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, if there's any offensive thing in me, God, we pray this week that you show us and that you change us and that, Jesus, we'd be more like you. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand this morning.